All right, so Pastor Chris is going to share with us today, and the topic is uh, discerning the will of God, um, you know, and just having God present in our decision-making. And this is a huge topic, and he and I were just talking this morning, and both of our philosophies have changed on this since we were young believers, and we're kind of, we, are, we are now in that process of what it looks like to discern the will of God. Um, my first take on this, this is when I was in college, I became a believer in college. I was a sophomore when I came to faith. And up until that point, I'd never had really considered ever that God had a plan for me, that God loved me, that there's any purpose or meaning in my life. Um, but then all of a sudden, I thought, oh my gosh, this is kind of a big deal, you know? I, and I kind of almost became paralyzed when it came to decision-making, thinking, oh, am I going to operate outside of the will of God? Um, and the first time, the first taste of that came um, when I applied at three different Christian camps. You know, the, a couple summers later, after coming to faith, okay, this, I want to serve the Lord. I want to serve at a Christian camp. I think this could be the greatest summer of my life. So I applied to three different camps. One was in Texas, one was in New Mexico, and one was in Missouri. And all three of them accepted me. So I had a position at all three camps, in which at one point, like for one brief moment, I thought, oh, that's so cool, these camps want me. And then the next moment was like, <gasps> what if I picked the wrong one? And I started praying like, for the will of God to determine which camp I would go to. Because in my mind, it was like, if I picked the wrong one, then it's all downhill. I, like, it'll be a negative experience. I would have blown it. I didn't do what the Lord wanted me to do. So I was praying about which camp to go to. And it wasn't a decision like, should I go to this Christian camp to serve or should I go hang out with this prostitute all summer? It was pretty obvious that I had three wonderful decisions to make, okay? But I still, it was weird how I didn't know what to do with that. And then I remember talking to my roommate about it and saying, I don't know, you know, my wife could be at one of these camps. So that even upped the ante of how important it was to pick the right camp. Well, I chose the tiniest, littlest camp in New Mexico, northern New Mexico. And sure enough, that is where I met Kathleen. Um, she does not remember meeting me, though, uh, that first summer. It took a couple more summers before things really connected. But I remember thinking, okay, now did I make the right decision? I met Kathleen. I mean, it sounds like the right decision, but could I have made the wrong decision? I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, Chris has all the answers for us this morning. So he's going to wrap this up beautifully. So uh, let's welcome up Pastor Chris. Yeah. My goodness, that's the worst setup to fail, I think, in the as I was coming in, um, you know, this topic for me, just as a follower of Jesus, as, as Mike said, um, I, I think no aspect of my theology or my thinking about the scriptures or how I approach the Christian life has actually shifted and changed more than this idea of how can I know God's will. And I ran into a brother, uh, Dean uh, Bussy, as I was coming in here, and he's like, well, do you have all the answers today? I was like, no way. I think I have some better questions. Um, but I, I look forward to maybe even hearing from, from you guys um, how you answer that question. How do I know God's will? If God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life, wouldn't it be wonderful if he actually told me what that was? And for those of us that are overthinkers, the idea of knowing God's will can actually really torment us. Um, you can overthink yourself uh, with this into quite a pickle. You know, as a young believer, as I, I look back in this week, I was just kind of reflecting on the journey of just knowing God's will. I, I think for many years, 
I approach the Christian life like a choose-your-own-adventure story. By a show of hands, how many of you guys are familiar with the books Choose-Your-Own-Adventure Story? It's a very simple premise. It's a book that as you read it, you have to make decisions along the way as you turn in at the pages of the book that determines the outcome of the narrative and the story. So these, these books, as a kid, they were my favorite kind of books because you felt like you were the main character. And so, you know, the, the book would always have some kind of like cheesy title, you know, like, like the Vampire Express or something like that. And you turn to page five and it's like, do you board the train with your backpack or do you, do you hike down to the next town? And if you decide to board the train, it says turn to page 37 and it's like, you know, uh, in the coach car, you run into a vampire, he sucks your blood, you die. It's like, okay, well, there's, I'm like seven pages in, this is a seven page like story and I'm dead. And the cool thing about it is you could always go back to page five, make another decision and it would lead to a completely different story. Now the rub with the Christian life is once you make a decision, you can't go back to page five and do a do-over. And if the Christian life, our decisions matter, we hear that all the time. If God has a wonderful plan for my life, a perfect plan, what happens if I don't choose right? So for very many years, I approached the, the, the answer or the question, how can I know God's will? Essentially, I broke it down kind of in eight steps, and I've since learned that many other believers approach God's will in this kind of common place way. Number one is based on this premise. God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. True or not true? True. Absolutely. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for your evil to give you a future and a hope. So it's right there in the Bible. God has a wonderful plan for our life, the Lord declares that he has a future and a hope mapped out for us. This is good stuff. Okay, so number two, and this is all on your notes, I tried to give you guys basically everything that, that you would want to write down this morning for those of you that are obsessive and compulsive. And so you have, you have my notes right there. Uh, number two, premise number two is if I discover God's will, I'll be blessed. And there's Psalm 34, 10 right there. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. That I must discover God's will to be in a blessable place in my Christian life. So far, so good. Number three, if I miss it, I'm in big trouble. Because I'm outside of God's will, as Mike said. And who wants to be outside of God's will? Well, Jesus tells us what's, what will happen if we're outside of God's will or we miss God's will. In Luke uh, chapter 12, the parable that Jesus said, he said that servant who did not act to his master's will will receive a severe beating. So you'll receive a severe, severe beating if you're outside of God's will. And even if Jesus is speaking metaphorically here, this doesn't sound like something that I want to happen in my life, so I better get God's will right how about number four? Let's add to this theology here. Therefore, I pray and I ask for guidance. If I'm super desperate, 
I may even fast or lay out fleeces, you know, like, so I, I, I get really serious. And James 1.5, it tells me if any of us lacks wisdom, we should ask God who gives generously to all and it will be given to them. So I ask God, Lord, tell me your will. And I pray a ton. And then number five, I get Pentecostal. Even if I'm conservative, this is the part where even the most conservative Christians get charismatic. I lay out fleeces and I look for signs because I want to be sure and certain that I'm making the right decision. So I I take Gideon and I go, that's my go-to guy. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. And of course he lays out the fleece and he says, you know, if it's, if it's dry, I know this is your will. And then he, he goes, I need more proof. If it's wet, I know it's your will. By the way, beware of taking a guy like Gideon and turning him into a biblical hero that is your reference point for making good decisions. Not every decision that Gideon made was a great decision. Go back and read the story. Number six, after laying out some fleeces, so the fleece test. By show, come on, confession's good for the soul. You've laid out some fleeces. Those of you, come on, show of hands, this is good. This is a men's breakfast. You know, we get honest. I've been up here. I've done the porn talk and things. This is, this is a good time. I know. I'm looking at you guys. You've laid out fleeces. You might have fleeces laid out right now. You're looking for signs for sure. After that, you do the, 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 the good, good thing. You seek out wise counsel. Proverbs 1.5 says, a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. And then the time comes where you must make a decision. So you wrestle, uh, you weigh the fleece data, um, you, you take into consideration the wise counsel, time runs out, runs out, the clock is running, you have to decide which camp do I go to, uh, which, which gal should I pursue, which college should I go to, which school should my kids attend, which house should we purchase? Uh, which career should I pursue, social work or seminary? And these decisions, with the major ones, we may lose some sleep over that, but the time comes where we have to decide. So we do our best, we make a decision. All the while, deep down, we wonder and we worry, did I choose right? Did I choose right? Did I make the right decision Was this God's will or was it my will? Was this something God wanted or was this something I wanted? And and we wrestle within. And I think this commonly accepted way of going about to, to try to decide God's will, to discern his will, it's based on an assumption that I think is actually thoroughly unbiblical, as we'll see, that God's will essentially is a hidden path that we must discover in order to get God's blessing and favor in our lives. It's, it's hidden. God's will is hidden from us. And so our job as men is to actually discern God's perfect will, the one path 
that he has called us to when we face every decision and choose wisely because your decisions matter. And if you choose wrong, you're going to drift outside of God's will. I have, I have a picture here for those of you that are visual learners. Um, I'm indebted to uh, my mentor and theology professor, Gary Brashears, for this illustration. But the way that Gary would kind of break down how most of us as Christians kind of approach discerning God's will and making decisions, it goes like this. So you're the yellow dot on the screen right there, and you have many, many decisions facing you. Probably where you're at today, many of you guys might come in and you have some major decisions that you're facing. If you take a look at this next slide here uh, on, on the PowerPoint. Thanks, Brenton. So that right there is, is actually God's will. The star is God's perfect will. Again, God loves me, has a wonderful plan for my life. So wonderful plan is the star. And if you get to the star, God is happy and you'll be blessed. But if you notice, there's the beige lines. What are the beige lines, you think, on that? That's plan B. Now, now plan B, it, you missed it a little bit. You, you were a little bit off. You know, you should have laid out more fleeces because you're a little bit outside of God's will, whatever that means, that phrase doesn't appear in Old Testament or New Testament, this whole notion of being outside of God's will, as we'll see. But, but you believe it and you go, maybe God, he's not angry at me, but I think he's disappointed. He's disappointed because now I get plan B in terms of God's will because I'm off track. But what if you choose really unwisely? What if you seek out wise counsel and you get a fool? And you make a really bad decision or a sinful one where you actually rebel against God. What happens? Okay, well, this is what happens uh, right here is you wander off into the red. And that's where God's really, really angry at you. You wander outside of the beige into the red. And I just got to say, you know, this whole notion of the Christian life being a choose-your-own-adventure and God has just one perfect will for you. I think it's the wrong picture, um, actually, of discerning and knowing God's will and making decisions. So what I'd like to do uh, this morning with our time together is give you guys four principles that have really, really, really helped me as a follower of Christ to make decisions and to discern God's will. And the first one, it goes like this. Number one on your notes today, God's will has more to do with believing and obeying what God has revealed than discovering something that he's hidden. So think about this. God's will is not a hidden thing that we have to discover. Actually, God has already revealed everything that we need to know about his will. So what I've come to believe and be convinced of is this. Listen, God's will, it, the way he dispenses it to us is on a need-to-know basis. And he has given us and will always give us everything we need to know, to know him, to follow him, to glorify him, and to flourish in 
this life. 100%. Many times we're convinced I need to know a lot of stuff. And we feel like God is holding out. Listen, the problem is not with God. He will always be clear when he needs to be. And he has revealed his will to us perfectly in the scriptures. We'll see in his son, through the church, through the Holy Spirit. God will always be clear and always reveal his will. And we don't have to decode it. We don't have to decode it. God is not playing a celestial game of hide-and-seek where he just enjoys, like, hiding from us. You know, as a father, I have two boys. When I, I think back, um, my youngest son, Asher, absolutely loved playing hide-and-seek uh, with me. Over this last summer, we moved into a, a larger house. We used to live in, in a smaller smaller house, and in that little 1,200-square-foot house, we would have some epic, epic games of hide-and-seek. Um, I remember, you know, playing this little, little game that most fathers play, you know, with their kids, uh, growing up and I would scout out the best hiding place, you know, possible in the house. Maybe I'd go into the garage, I'd hide under like a tarp or something like that. My boys absolutely loved it. You know, and after a couple minutes, maybe I would actually let out like a, uh, like a squeak or like a sound. Um, you know, to kind of give my boys some hints, to drop some hints if it was taking him, you know, a few minutes to find me. And then without fail, especially when my son Asher would find me or he'd see like an exposed toe, you know, he would just like let out like this gleeful squeal, you know, like it's like, I found dad. And it just was, was beautiful. He just never, ever ever got tired of playing this game. It's like, dad, find me. And it was absolutely amazing. Never once when I've talked with a father, have I run into a guy that just loved hiding so well that his kids never found him. I mean, the point of the game, right? The point of the game is not like to hide so well, like you're just camouflaged in like, like one of those like suits in the backyard. And it's like, oh, I win. My kids didn't find me. Oh, this is awesome. What kind of like screwed up dad would do that? Like that's not the joy of the game, like of hide and seek is in being found. And, and guys, let, let, if you walk away with anything today, listen, listen, listen. This little game that I used to play with my kids, it actually taught me something um, essential about God's will. The God of the Bible does not take joy in hiding himself from us, but in being found in being found. That's the, his nature. He loves revealing his will. He's not playing some celestial hiding game in, in your life where he, he's just taking joy and kind of cloaking his hidden will. The biblical emphasis, when you look at the scriptures, is not on finding God's hidden will, but believing and obeying his revealed will. In fact, what distinguishes the God of the Bible from the God of pagan religions. and pagan religions, humanity has always had a fascination uh, with discerning the will of the gods, especially as it relates to the future. So as the scriptures, especially Old Testament scriptures, as they were written, including Jesus' day, the pagan religions uh, would try to actually decipher the will of the gods by reading the entrails of animals or reading cracks and shells. Gypsies would read, you know, tea leaves. And everything about reading God will, God's will in these pagan rituals was built on the premise his will is 
is hidden and cloaked. The God's will is hidden and cloaked from us, and we have to do these rituals to actually decode his will and understand it. And listen, the God of the Bible, it doesn't, he doesn't operate like the pagan gods, and he has revealed generously his will to us so he can be found, known, loved, and obeyed. And so there's four primary ways that God is generously and continues to reveal his, his will to us. First and foremost, he reveals his will to us through the scriptures that he's preserved and passed on to us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, unbelievable, just wow verse in terms of, of how generously God has revealed his will to us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. I think we have the verses up on the screen. Listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. I, or guess what? That, I should have Second Peter. That's a great one too, Easter's coming. But how about this? Second Peter, <laughs> it's great. It's great. This is awesome. Second uh, Peter, verses three and four. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, listen to this, who's called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. So God has given us these precious and great promises so that through these promises we can actually partake in God's will, partner with him, and actually doing his will on earth as it is in heaven. And they're sufficient. One of the bedrock beliefs uh, that informs what we do here at River West is what theologians call the sufficiency of scripture. Meaning that everything that we need to know about life and salvation, God has given us sufficiently these inspired words to be a map for our lives so that we can understand his will. And the problem many times is not that, that actually we don't understand God's will, it's that we struggle to obey what he's revealed to us in the scriptures. Amen? Amen. So if we spent less time maybe laying out fleeces and looking for signs and just saturating our mind and heart in the scriptures, we'd have a greater bead on what God's will is for us. Uh, you can read 2 Timothy and these other passages later. I'm going to keep us moving. The second resource God gives us to know his will is the Holy Spirit. How great of a resource is that? God gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can understand his heart and his mind as we face decisions that we need to make. So listen in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verses 10 to 12, what it says about the Spirit of God and how it actually reveals God's will to us. And so in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. 
For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not a spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So we're given the Holy Spirit so that we can actually understand God's mind as we're making decisions. We can actually think like God. Paul will go as far as to say, you have the mind of Christ. What a gift. That, that, now that doesn't mean that God just, just beams into us, you know, from heaven like messages. I think what it means as we saturate our lives in the scriptures, the Holy Spirit actually will testify with our spirit and God will generously reveal his thoughts to us so that we can make decisions that are in harmony and one with him. So in the same way that Jesus went around and he said, I can do nothing except that which I see my father doing in heaven, we can have access to God so that we can go, you know what? I actually believe I'm partnering with God. And in this decision, um, him and I are together in this. What a gift that through the Holy Spirit, we get that same access to God's heart and mind. Amazing gift. How about this one? This one almost never, ever makes the list of how can I interpret God's will, the church. The church. In Ephesians chapter 3, for those of you who have a Bible, you can turn there. One of the ways that we actually can discern what God is doing and what he's called us to is actually through the community of Christ. Many times when it comes to, to discerning God's will, we think individually. We go, man, that, that's between me and God. And when it comes to actually understanding God's will, he imparts his will through the community of faith and his people on earth that we call the church. So listen to this passage in Ephesians 3 in verses 8 to 10. Listen to the way that Paul talks about how the church reveals God's will here. To me, though I'm very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What a gift we've been given in the church, in the community of God's people, in, in the cloud of witnesses that has gone before us that God has spoken to. And when we make decisions, many times the greatest gift we've been given is a community where we can receive wise counsel. And many times a person that's filled with the Holy Spirit, God will inspire them uh, to make a connection uh, with you, to introduce you to someone um, as they're praying for you, to give you a, a word of wisdom that just radically redirects your life. I look at my life and apart from the church, I'm such a fool. I've made such bad decisions and God has lovingly used the church actually to keep me out of some major pitfalls. Um, so as you go about knowing God's will, don't try to do it with just you and Jesus. 
Because that's just not the context where God reveals his manifold wisdom and will uh, to humanity. He never has. It's not one-on-one. And how about this one? Uh, Jesus, his son. If there's ever been a man where his whole entire life a person who has perfectly lived out God's will and shows us what a life surrendered to God's will looks like, I think all of us would say that's Jesus Christ. He came to do the will of God. As uh, Hebrews 10.7 says, Lord, in your book is written about me, I've come to do your will. That's why Jesus came, to do the will of God. It's why John, in chapter 6, verse 38, speaking Uh, Jesus speaking of of his mission, he talks about himself this way. In John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, if we just use Jesus as our model of what it looks like to do God's will, then we need to actually make a really important conclusion as we set about knowing God's will. And here it is. It should really be in your notes if it's not there. Doing God's will does not promise an easy path or a suffering-free life. Doing God's will many times is actually a narrow road that is laden with difficulty with trials, with persecution, and with suffering. And we can say that with confidence because Jesus came to do the will of God and we see him in Gethsemane struggling and saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And of course, leading up to Easter, we know that ultimately it was the will of God for Christ, the perfect, sinless Son of God, to be crushed for our sins on the cross, to be beaten, to be abused, to be betrayed by his closest friends, and to be buried. To rise Victorious on the third day, absolutely. But my goodness, guys, can we just just remove forever that if we discern God's perfect will, we'll get actually the path that is free of suffering. That if you have that promise, God may, may absolutely be involved. You may be right in line with his will. A spirit may be right there with you and you just might be in a furnace. You might be in a situation where your, your marriage, I mean, you're just going through the fires right now and the enemy loves coming in and whispering, you chose wrong. You chose wrong. Let me tell you as a pastor, every single marriage I've seen that's ended in divorce, that insidious toxic lie is spread. You chose wrong. You made the wrong decision. Maybe you get it right next time. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Just because you're suffering right now, you might be in the palm of God's hand. And you can look at Christ, the perfect son of God, came, did the will of God during his life, 
so much suffering. So doing God's will, it doesn't promise us an easy path in this life, guys. It just doesn't. We get something better. We get a promise that no matter what we encounter, God's will for us will always prevail. And we have a sufficient resource in the scriptures and the spirit and the perfect son of God to prevail and and actually be faithful to do God's will no matter what we face. Amen? Amen. There's five of you. By the end, spirit willing, we'll get there. All right. All right. Number two, how about this? Although God's will sometimes comes to us in divine moments, knowing and doing God's will shouldn't be built around them. Make room and allow in your Christian life for divine moments, but don't demand them. And don't build your entire Christian life in discerning God's will and doing it around divine moments, or you're on dangerous ground. I think many times, how many of you, uh, as a young believer, I, I read an incredible book. It changed my life, actually forever. It was a book called Encountering God. Show of hands, how many of you have read Henry Blackaby's Encountering God? Okay, a few of you. It's incredible. It really is. It takes like the story of, of Moses and uses it essentially as a pattern for how to discern God's will. Incredible book. Unbelievable. Um, it also is imperfect. It's imperfect takes one story in the Bible, Moses, the Moses story, and, and it shows us how we can discern God's will um, by essentially waiting for God to reveal his will to us, what he's doing in the world, through burning bushes. Now, Moses waited a long time. He waited for a long, long time hanging out with sheep before the burning bush moment uh, happened. And it's good. And Blackaby, it's pretty balanced. But I, I think we... Read that book, and we all want a Moses experience in life. We want a burning bush encounter with the Lord. And the truth is, sometimes they come, but not always. And sometimes I think we elevate these biblical heroes like Moses, like Joshua, and Paul, these incredible faithful men that that God revealed his will to and gave very difficult assignments to and we kind of use that as a pattern for our lives. And we go, you know what? My burning bush moment is going to come. And it may, but it may not come the way that you expect. God absolutely speaks to people in divine moments. We see that in the scriptures. I've experienced that in my life. Moments I can't explain apart from supernatural intervention. And I'm sure many of you guys have experienced times where, God, to get your attention, you get a loud knock. You just, the Lord just shows up. And you know, there's just no doubt in your mind. I've had two occurrences where there's not any thread of doubt whatsoever that the Lord, he revealed his will to me and intervened supernaturally. You, you may get that. But be careful of comparing yourself to other Christians or holding out on doing and obeying God's will until you get a burning bush. It may come, but they don't always come the way we expect it. Take the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul got a burning bush moment. He got knocked flat on his butt with the burning bush moment on the Damascus Road, right? The Lord shows up in a blinding light, audible voice from heaven, speaks the Apostle Paul. Lord Jesus himself 
speaks to him, strikes him blind to get his attention, sends him to Ananias, just, just tells the guy, hey, here's what I, I want you to do. I want you to go to this, this, this man, Saul, that's persecuting my church, and I want you to give him a mission. Here's my mission. I, he's going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. By the way, I must show him how much he must suffer to do my will. He's going to suffer. That's intrinsic in doing God's will, by the way. It's built in, I think, to every single aspect of doing his will faithfully. So he says, Paul's going to suffer, and, and here's his assignment. He's going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. In the book of Acts, we see after the Ananias moment, he regains his sight. What does Paul do? He obeys. He obeys. We, we see in the book of Acts, he grabs Timothy, and they go out, and, and they begin preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, planting churches. Do you know in Paul's ministry... Only once does God intervene supernaturally and redirect Paul. Once. Lifetime assignment from God, Apostle Paul, writing scripture, one redirection. It's in Acts chapter 16, if you want to check it out later. It was the man of Macedonia. Paul has a dream in the middle of the night, sees a man he's planning on going to, to Asia the Lord says, nope, you're headed the wrong direction. I'm going to send you to Europe. I'm going to send you to Philippi. Way over here, redirects him through a dream. And, and, and Paul goes in a different direction. Makes a different decision. All the other like missionary journeys, he, why does he go to Lystra? Well, Timothy's from Lystra. He uses wisdom. Uh, why, why these other places, you know? Well, Paul just took what God had revealed, and he tried as much as he could to just be faithful and obey. He didn't sit around and wait for the Lord to come to him to basically just beam down knowledge. Again, another vision from heaven, and, and then I'll, I'll go to Macedonia. Another vision from heaven, and then I'll go to Jerusalem. Another vision from heaven. No, he was faithful with what God has revealed. And, and that's what I think I have have come to realize sometimes the will of God, it does come in burning bushes, blinding lights, audible voices, even dreams and visions. But in most cases, our problem is not that God's holding out on us and we, he hasn't revealed enough of his will to us. It's just we're really struggling to do what God has asked us to do. To be faithful with this, to do difficult things. So what's the last thing that God has asked you to do that he's made clear to you? Are you being faithful in that thing? There's a great quote from um, one of the church fathers. He actually was a monk who probably lived in a cave somewhere 1,600 years ago, St. Mark the, the ascetic. But this quote is so relevant for today, and I love this. This is one of my favorite quotes about uh, doing the will of God. It's on your notes. Um, there it says, If you do the good about which you do know, what you should do next would then become clear to you as if you were passing through a house from one room to another. It is not helpful to know what comes later before you have done what comes first. Not good. Be faithful in what God has revealed to you. Do the next thing. Oswald Chambers, there's a great story of Oswald Chambers, um, 
actually uh, being on, on a boat. Uh, he was coming from Europe to America, really struggling to know what God was calling him to do, to, how to be faithful in this calling he had given him. And, and he just was, was struggling to know, God, what should I do next? And he felt like the Lord just impressed on him. He was tired that he should just take a nap. And so he crawled into like a lifeboat, grabbed a pillow, and he took a nap. And after that nap, he was refreshed, and the Lord just just inspired him. He had perfect clarity on what he was supposed to do. Some of you may need a nap. (laughs) We make bad decisions when we're tired. Ask God to just show you the next thing. Instead of thinking of like a macro vision of your life, just beam it down. Listen, listen, if God told you, if he really gave you a vision of the future he's called you to, you'd chicken out. You'd chicken out. You think you want it. You don't. You can't handle it. You'd be crushed. You know what? Take a nap. (laughs) You're not that big of a deal, first off. Like God's will isn't contingent on you. Just do the next thing that God has called you to do. And don't wait around for your burning bush moment. It may come. It just may not come the way you expect. How about this? This is a new revelation, man, for me that the Lord is teaching me. I'm going to keep us moving along. Number three, God's will. I believe it has more to do with our character than what I'm calling our calling, in quotes. It has more to do with who we are than what we're currently doing even vocationally. God's primary concern in this life is the question, what kind of a person, what kind of a man are you becoming? I, I've seen lots of books about God's will, and some of them, they, they, have, um, they have a target on, on the cover. Here's, here's another metaphor that can go wrong with understanding God's will. And in the center of, of the target, the bullseye, again, is God's perfect will. And many times we again go, man, I want, you know, God's will and I want to get my calling right because if I don't get my calling right, then I'll never hit the bullseye. So, I, I, man, I'm missing my calling. And listen, God has already revealed what the bullseye of the Christian life is and what he's called us to. Each and every one of us, we have a calling that the Lord has made clear in the scriptures. You have been called to become as Christ-like as possible in this life with the Lord's help. You've been come to be a man that emulates Jesus' life and his love to others. God's will for your life is to become like Jesus. How about this? Two passages of scripture, Romans 8, 28 and 9. Listen to the way that Paul talks about our calling And God's will for us in this passage, Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. There it is right there. That's our primary calling, and it's the primary thing that God is concerned with, is conforming us like a potter shaping clay, conforming our character so that you and I, with the Spirit's help, 
can emulate the life of Jesus to others on the earth. How about this one in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 2 and 6? Listen to the way that Paul talks about our character in God's will in this passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 2 and 6. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Underline this. Your sanctification. This is the will of God for you. You being changed into the likeness of Jesus the Son. That you abstain from sexual immorality. And that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Paul, right, right here, writing to the Thessalonians, they were surrounded by pagan religions that were obsessed with, again, deciphering the will of the gods. He goes, you want to know what the will of God is? Your sanctification, your purity. Abstain from porneia. Abstain from looking at those things on the computer. Keep your mind and your heart pure. That's God's will, our sanctification. And I think it's, it's weird in the Christian life because we've elevated almost this mythical sense of calling above character. And we think God's way more concerned in my, my calling. And, and I think we ought to reverse that. God cares about our calling. He puts our character first. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Get that as the bullseye and actually who you'll become. You'll be actually what, what Paul says in 2 Timothy. You'll become a vessel of honor that's useful. So actually our calling is contingent upon our character. And, and so if your character is rotten, then you won't be a vessel of honor that the Lord can use to do cool stuff. Check out 2 Timothy chapter 3 later today and the vessel of honor passage. Like God wants to use you, but I think we wait and we go, well, I need to know then what's my calling. This is what it is. Be like Jesus. Live like Jesus. That's our, our calling. So if you take that, and you go, now that is the primary will of God. That's God's perfect will for my life is actually my sanctification, this process where I'm becoming more like Jesus. Let's rework that whole picture of the, the will of God and the many branches here. So, uh, Brenton, if you have that, that slide and that photo, I think this is a biblical view of, of God's will. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means everything in a way that's actually congruent with who Jesus is. Make your decisions. Be Christ-like. All those stars are blessable places where God's will for you to be a Christ-like man, to emulate his life and love, he could be glorified through any of those blessable places, and they all got happy emoji faces. We have way more freedom than we think, so stop freaking out. Uh, should I go to this college, you know, in Idaho, um, or should I go to San Francisco? God needs faithful followers of Christ in Boise and in San Francisco, Okay. 
Should I be a social worker or should I attend seminary? He needs salt and light, faithful people in social work, and yes, Lord have mercy, in seminaries as well. Stop elevating your, your calling. Say, Lord, I want to honor you in my character and everything I do, word or deed, vocation, career, Portland or San Francisco. I just want to honor you. You get that attitude, and the only thing that you should avoid, again, the will of God, what's the will? This is the will of God, your sanctification, right? The thing then that you should just stay out of the red zone is sinful things or stupid things. And I wish God would shut the door on both of those things, but guess what? We have freedom. So you can be sinful or stupid. So stay out of the red zone because God won't shut those doors and the enemy will come and just say, Lord, keep me from sinful decisions. Keep me. Lord, show me paths that would lead to my ruin and keep me away from those. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. And as we grow in wisdom, keep me from folly, which I am prone to impulsive decisions for not praying, for making bad decisions, because I, I, I just feel like I have to decide here. Slow down. And say, Lord, keep me from a foolish, impulsive decision. Give me wisdom. Seek out wise counsel. Open the Bible. Fast and pray. And the Lord will meet you. All right, last one here. And man, I wish I was better at this. I feel like a hypocrite saying this one because I struggle. I struggle, struggle, struggle with this one. Instead of spending all our energy worrying about God's, what God's going, how God's will is going to unfold tomorrow, God wants us to trust him with our everything today. God's will is not primarily about tomorrow, it's about today. It's about right where you are. The Bible says very little about the future other than God holds it, and his redemptive plans for humanity in Jesus Christ they will not falter. They will not be discouraged until they're accomplished. And the Lord will do his will. And so it's our job not to be future focused, but every single day saying, Lord, I want to be faithful with my today. I want to be faithful with you today. How about this? James chapter 4. If you need a good kick in the butt this morning. This passage right here, I have, I have absolutely failed at living out this wisdom in my Christian life. James chapter 4, in verse 13, uh, it says, Come you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town, we'll spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Fear or a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Listen to verse 17. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. My goodness, as I was reflecting this week and, and looking back on my life, when I was a young man, um, there, there was so much arrogance. I felt like I had the will of God planned out. I moved my family to Austin, Texas, and I wish, man, in my garage, I searched for this thing. 
I had a master planning arrow. A uh, master planning arrow was uh, like a, a planning tool where I had a purpose statement for my life. I had a vision statement for my life. I had uh, six-month goals, yearly goals, 10-year goals, and lifetime legacy goals written out at 20 years old. I wish I, I, if I had it, I'd frame it as a token of my folly. I'm a big believer. I've gone through a coaching process. I have a life plan. Listen, this is 20-year-old Christopher talking for a moment. The most merciful thing the Lord has ever done in my life is by crushing the master plan. Moved to Austin, Texas on the master plan. We were going to plant a church in Austin, Texas. Urban church in the urban core. Uh, Moved our family there. At 22 years old, what do you know about life or ministry or marriage or anything? This is, this is a window in, into me in, in my 20s. And I was going to, to plant this dynamic church that was going to change people's lives. And the wheels just started falling off of that plan from the moment we arrived in Austin. Money that was set apart uh, for our family to plant this church was embezzled. Um, by someone within the denomination we were a part of and invested in catfish farms. I remember looking at my wife and saying, catfish farms and embezzlement was not on the master plan. <laughs> at the time, we were so poor because the money that was going to be, you know, set aside to, to help us have like a stipend to live, we didn't get that. So we actually lived in my, my best friend's uh, uh, parents' house. They had a shed in the back of their, their yard that we converted into a livable space. So I lived in a shed with my wife. That was not a blessed time. We converted the shed into a house. There was eight dogs uh, in Buda, Texas. I hated my life. Um, I struggled. With my Bible college education, I, I worked at a restaurant called The Salt Lick. Best barbecue. Uh, on the face of the earth is in the Salt Lake. George W. Bush flew the Salt Lake barbecue like into his inauguration. This stuff is from heaven. It is the will of God one day for you guys to have Texas barbecue. Mike, that's for all the Texas jokes I've ever done. Like, like it was amazing. But working there, I have a Bible college degree. I'm working at a barbecue restaurant. Did not feel like I was in the perfect will of God. After the barbecue restaurant, my wife and I, to make some more money because barbecue wasn't paying the bills, uh, we started our own company, Integrity Carpet Care, cleaning carpets. Nothing will humble you like staying up all night taking pet stains out of carpet. Our marriage barely made it through Integrity Carpet Care, owning this business together. Going, man, this is not the will of God for me. All of my plans failed. 100% of the things on the master plan. Best gift in hindsight the Lord ever gave me was meeting me in that time of failure, letting me run out of gas and going, are you out of plans? I was waiting. Like, I was waiting. Are you out of plans? I know the plans I have for you to declare the Lord. They're not for your evil. I, I have plans for you. Are you ready? Are you ready? I just ran out of, nothing shaped my character more 
the Lord gets more mileage out of, of the humbling chapters we spent in Austin, Texas. I would never trade it. Not the depression, not the struggle with my wife, none of it, zero. Because it conformed some things, it humbled some things, it taught me things about the grace of God and my value. Wouldn't trade it, wouldn't be here today without those things. And that's how the will of God works. As many times we go through things where you go, man, this cannot be the will of God. And you're directly in the center of one of the most shaping chapters. Embrace the truth that Christ is present with you today. You're right where you need to be, even if it's really tough. You're right where you need to be. I'm going to end with this. There's an encounter that Jesus has um, with Peter in John 21 that I've been thinking about all week. I'm just going to leave you with this because this encounter Jesus has with Peter on the beach, it may be where some of you guys are right now. Risen Jesus shows up. Peter is defeated. I'm sure he has, has basically just been up all night fishing, wondering this is not how I thought things would pan out, leaving everything behind, leaving the fishing business behind, following Jesus. He's back in his fishing boat. Dreams, hopes are crushed. He goes, man, the path I'm on, I never thought I'd be here. So much shame. Feels like a failure. Jesus comes to Peter, restores him as we know, and says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And then there's this interesting exchange between Peter and Jesus after Jesus tells him, I still have a will for you. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to pastor my church. In verse 18, he tells Peter this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk around wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Those are the first words Peter ever heard. Follow me. Just keep following me, Peter. The road ahead, it's hard. Christ tells him, actually, you're going to do things. It's not going to be your will. Others will actually do things to you. You're going to suffer. Then Peter, I love Peter. He doesn't get it. Peter turned. He saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, the one whom he had been reclining at the table close to him, and said, Lord, who is that is going to, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And, and Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. Again, Peter, here's my will. Stop thinking about the future. Stop, stop. I'll take care of you. Peter, follow me, follow me. Focus on me today. Stop worrying about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own, Jesus will say in the Sermon on the Mount. Tomorrow's full of worries. Stop, follow me. Wherever you're at, I feel like that's just a word that the Spirit wants to impress on someone. Just stop focusing on, on all those things. Follow Jesus today. Say, Lord, show me what it looks like to follow you right here, right now, and the Lord will meet you.
in that thing. Okay, so that's where I'm going to land the plane. I'm going to pray here in a moment. Mike, do we have any time for, for Q&A stuff, or should we just turn it around on, on a table discussion? Do we? Okay, so how about this then? I'm going to open it up because I know this topic, it's one of those ones where you may have come in here and you're just really struggling to know God's will. Um, are there any questions that you guys have? I'm not promising that I can answer them, but any good questions that will maybe connect um, to, to, to what we just talked about where you're just really struggling to understand God's will? Yeah, Dave. Yeah, so good. Okay. Practical, practical things. I think that that's such a good question. The greatest area in my life where I'm working and trying to mature is in, in daily prayer. Um, but my approach to prayer is changing. Right. Prayer biblically is actually a partnership. Think about that. Partnership. Two people working together to accomplish a shared singular purpose. That's what prayer is. We get actually through prayer to come into divine partnership with God Almighty. We become mission partners with God Almighty. When we approach prayer like that, it becomes less about an intercom where we make requests or we expect God to like beam down things and more like a walkie-talkie. You know, where we get orders and, and we are in it together. And the approaching prayer and having times where I do morning prayer, um, I have afternoon prayer that actually is, is a time where I ask the Lord to show me and, and redirect if I'm going off course for my day. Um, it's kind of an inventory prayer time, the afternoon prayer. In the morning, I'm just saying, Lord, I'm giving you this day. I'm turning over control because when I control things, things don't go well. So morning prayer is really releasing control. I'm mostly working through the Psalms. I read through the Book of Common Prayer. In the afternoon, I go, Lord, search me, know my heart. How am I doing? Um, open my eyes to people that you want me to love, speak to. Lord, show me what you've prepared for me um, this day. And in the evening time, as much as possible, my wife and I try to conclude our day by instead of just doing a daily download, rehearsing our day, giving thanks to God together and praying for discernment about things that we just don't know what to do with the kids. And, but overwhelmingly, like in the, in the evenings, try to have um, times of just gratitude and prayer, thanking God and doing um, something called the Prayer of Examine. There's an app that you can get if you want it um, called the Prayer of Examine. Um, that St. Ignatius uh, came up with a pretty incredible um, prayer where you rehearse your day with God. Those are some simple things that I'm doing, rehearsing my day with God in the evening and thanking him, being mindful of what did this day hold. And then actually this idea of in the morning, pray and say, Lord, show me people that you've called me to love. Help me do the things that you've called me to do. Help me be faithful in it, that's an area where I'm really trying to, to grow. 
add that to, to Bible study and, and kind of the normal kind of spiritual disciplines that we talk about, and, and that's made a huge difference. I, there's a room full of, of men that follow Jesus. Who would add to that something that, that's missing from a response? Yeah. Daily Hope with Rick Warren is amazing. Yep. Yep. Daily Hope with Rick Warren. The nice thing about Rick Warren is I feel like he's such a wise, grounded voice, full of wisdom. Um, so something like that, of taking something like Daily Hope, a word to guide and direct your day, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, any, anyone else? This is an open forum. I mean, I don't have... I mean, I'm on the stage here, but there's a room full of guys that have a lot of collective wisdom. What would you add to, to what I offered about prayer to practically fleshing this out in your daily life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keep it simple. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. No. That's right. Yep. That's right. That's so good. I love that. It's great. Anyone else? Yeah, Pat. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, no. That's That's it. That's right. Yeah, Romans uh, chapter 12, 1 and 2. It's one of those, those passages that's on there. Listen to this. Do not be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. So your mind matters. What you're, you fill your mind with, how you begin your day, uh, if you're praying and mindful of the promises of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect, uh, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, uh, there's so many disciplines we can do that, that help us renew our minds. Um, but engaging your heart through worship music, that, that's awesome. That's, that's helpful as well. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, God loves you. Yes. Yeah. We're not the center of the universe. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. My wife, um, 
Ma'am. Um, so when our, our son, Asher, had, uh, many of you guys know the story of when he had uh, his bout of seizures uh, years ago. During that time, one of the things the Lord taught us is in our morning prayer times, beginning the day, and, and saying, Lord, teach me to trust you. Lord, I think that time, a lot of what the Lord met us in is he expanded our heart to trust him. You begin your day, if you're going through something difficult, that prayer for my wife and I, Lord, teach me to trust you, that we get from the psalmist. Lord, teach me your ways. Teach me to trust. Uh, man, that was huge. That's what the Lord is looking for. He's looking for us to trust him. How about this? I'm going to pray, and then you guys can spend some time talking about this just, just at your table. Perhaps you guys are going through something right now. You're really struggling to understand um, God's will, uh, or maybe you just want to praise, uh, give glory to the Lord because he gave you some discernment. Uh, I know this is a topic where there's a lot of skin in the game for us. Um, so let me pray right now for uh, some work I sense the Spirit just wants to do with us. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for how generously you have revealed your heart and will to us. We see in your perfect son, Jesus, Lord, that your will for us is, is to save sinful men like us, to redeem us, welcome us into your kingdom. You've opened your heart to us, Lord, and you want to be found and known. And so you pursue us, Lord, relentlessly. Open our eyes, Father, too, to what you want us to do this very day, how you want us to trust you with the things we're struggling with, the people that you've called us to be loved, the assignments that you've called us to be faithful in. Give us the strength and courage, Lord, to be faithful to you, to follow your son's path, Lord. No matter what comes, Lord, may your will be done in our lives as it is already in heaven. And all of God's people said, amen, amen.